0: Hi there. Welcome to The People uh, on uh, k Chung, 1630 a.m. Uh, in Chinatown. My name is Matthew Timmons.
1: Uh, and my name is Ben White. Hi, Matt.
0: Hi, Ben. <laughs> uh, this is a brand new show uh, on Kei Chung uh, called The People. We have some great guests today. Um, uh, you were just listening to a track called Yesterday uh, by Brian Joseph Davis, and um, I thought it was a fitting intro for today. Um, Brian Joseph Davis did this project in April of 2006. He ran a recording studio at Mercer Union. Uh, And people just that came by this gallery were stopped and asked to sing from memory and with no practice yesterday by the Beatles. They were given headphones with an instrumental track to help them out. And they were told that if they couldn't remember the words, they should just make it up. Everyone was paid a $5 performance fee. And then Brian Joseph Davis took all of the different versions and kind of put them together making that kind of haunting beautiful version of a classic Beatles song um,
1: and so that that song's kind
0: of a setup for what we're trying to do with
1: this show which is to bring together talented people from all sorts of uh, from fields in, in Los Angeles <laughs> musicians artists uh, architects
0: what have you whatever ice cream makers ice cream makers
1: and get them in a conversation cooks. with each other
0: yeah to create basic conversations across uh, across different cultural realms in Los Angeles. We'll right. probably uh, privilege the kind of art and writing or literary worlds, but uh, we're looking to create various other different kind of uh There'll be room for everyone on the people. <laughs> room for everyone on the people. So just for the heck of it, I'm going to read uh, our description of the show because it's a fun little bit. So, so we just told you what it is, and now I'm going to tell you what it is again. Preach it. Right now. The People features the voices and ideas of the people that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond on Kei 1630 AM every third Sunday at 3 PM. More and more, The People simply choose, for whatever reason, power to the people in the home of people power on the internet. A radio revolution offering comfort and queuing up special stuff. This is the sound you love to listen to, the power of the people to make atmospheric, psychedelic, and dance-oriented conversation. Radio for The People featuring art, literature, talk, cultural criticism, visual culture, intelligent witticisms, and so much more. The people is me. The people is you. The people is we, and you can too. Like a broken record, magically repaired. So there you go. Oh, uh,
1: Amen. All right. <laughs> so today on the show, we have, uh, we have two guests, Joseph Moscone and Jay Erker, and we're going to start off with, uh, with Joseph Moscone. So Joseph Moscone, welcome to the people.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: No problem. Um, So I think we're going to start with you reading from Fright Catalog. Matt, you want to say something about that? Yeah,
0: Fright Catalog is is a 100-page, full-color magazine published very recently by Insert Blanc Press. It's the press that I run, and uh, it's a gorgeous magazine and a wonderful piece of writing. And we're very happy to have Joseph Moscone here to be reading to us today. So take it away.
2: Beneath the odd-edge sounds to the twilight contract of the black fascist. Dead air phone call. Towards Dwarf Hill territory on an icy age mathemat. The work which pole tends the overall vibration of the preachy yeast. Deep in the pot of the fresh antipodal, weave-wearing model necrosant, I breathe the spear servile, a shaving of the horn of the orthodox caveman. And cry for the weeper, deciphering legend within the serpent's snatch, beneath the wings of the black vomit, above vexed and vomit-hexed. Heir to the noose, shams of the opotism, blech in the habitation of dragons, and court for owls. The repellent scars and untold Upanishads of election. Breathing wounds across the Olipoth folk fuck folly of a medical villain summoned into the Hale Imperials Cromwelled in the expungible occasion of the labyrinth of the triacle creek mind droning star till evil trickles acrostic beyond the pantheon enscorsed by chaos of gorgons spawned by Vetus. Black with cherry, the angel prelude hoards Magellan in Martigal pain, the deeds that grasp the candle's goat-breath, witch-bound waiter. Whilst the trident spawn and spectered Zardu knives endow thy sight, Pause, artificial, Paz yakuza, Paz self-loathing orchestra within ye woods, the succulent aftermath of a subdural hemorrhage and a brief discourse of wound ballistics at a severe catatonic intersection, bloatation, repugnant bloatation, refloatation, who crucified the Caprophone paperweight jelly jam, 11th century trophy-wise summoned the scroll of the Shadow Slash. He with whom compared the Alps... Our valleys of sonar, enlightenment programs, bad business oppressors slake my astral project. Hot magics, red planets, white boom. There's no sunlight in my cubicle above the cussing Keats persona, malignant cankerous brain feast and tumorous cerebral beverage of the cranium where strides the behemoth megalodon circle of Sasquatch colony blade catch. Restrained in demuric gibbons to mythological cold towers, thus demystifier spoke. Welcome to New Jersey pork rind toes. Unspeakable dementia, utter nonsense, wither the, ha- the wands dwelling in dead bedrooms for the glory of glutenized cool times. Gloss triumphal, dross cleanliness, and misty sores or swampy floors gathered round an oaken table vampires of black imperial phantomatic plentitude, albinos de Congo, dead as duck, the form thought from electro-blue voice caught in the unlight, not-for-meaningless, leaning mess, thematic emanations of archetypal multiplicity or dirty, raw experience blackened by fawns who cleanse the monotonous foghorns of the molesting department, where at night the, the wood grouse plays fluster wounds of sardonic wrath, not for our feet or the hives of our trident autocr- autocrat pacing the cyclical nether noisemonger for goat serpent shadows of madame, groom throngs and terminal fantasies of malefic, onopo- onopoetic warriors, half-eaten guitars... Rhetorized sorrowful galaxies and fractal possession of bakelings. Not stupid silhouettes and splinters. Aching for a switch to turn off mankind. And epiphanic vomiting of blood. I hope you fail miserably and never accomplish anything again. All flesh is grass-fed, waterfront weirdos. Soul-drilled into infernal martyrism. Rebelling an unholy mindfuck of hostile dominance and impaling sickness. Aching swords for the infuriated genital tomb touched by the Crimson King. Suckling injected anthems of welkin at dusk as the Venus baloney disassociates human junction. At the Department of Apocalyptic Affairs, nefarious, dismal, leucotian, subtle, disabled liquidity mellow reverberations dubbed force wearer. The crawling mirrors reflect the rhetoric of Superman, and bittersweets to the succubi waltz in the midst of trees, masturbating on the inverted tracks of the grim and frost-bitten necro-bobsledder, freaking on the mutilated smiler, the effects of departure from ideal proportions... Struggling from chokehold, transatlantic syndicate solutions, bizarre troll technology splintering the fluid instincts for a gothic prelude of cruciferous lunacy, crushing defeat of the triune godhead who attacks the northern frostwind effort of planetary discipline, an ontogeny of remote viewing, a megacosm of aquaphobics draped in sepulchrality, straightening sharks in heaven's grizzled finale, preferring human skin over animal fur. Shamelessly, I went round the bastard, sapling frozen by ice wind, raped by mammoth, a pitiless paranormal reek report of underestimated allure and ravenous bursting steel, conceptual funeralism in the final act of Gilgamesh, mute and frenzied clamor of freaky fauna and nun-sucking necrophiles forged in the economy of excess fecal myopia, wonder that on my rotten cabin ponders a baptism in the warm piss of slaughtered children, lechery, maledictions and grieving adjures to the concerns of flesh an accidental shot heard around reflective property carried by crawls of titan bats and supreme narcotic oddnance cryogenic communion with bandshell legions nostalgia freeze hovering near wooden caves behold the kindred battle carcasses strewn across the blood-red dunes my body is no vessel no temple It's a repulsive pile of sickness and unholy drums for psychedelic Africa feasting on faith. No, not really fuck the universe. I'll share my thirst with the thing on the doorstep. Regurgitated lullabies procreate the 13th Caligula Doberman Pharaoh. Attack the historical force-fed hoof. Wouldn't you love a monster man to repair the dimensional cluster calculated first marching towards the sticks there are questions pertaining to the ownership of my mind hiking metal punks wheeled ghetto gear of the cadaver race, the last successful human cannonball, a dream of ballistic submarine towers of titanic proportions artifacted irreligion and chronological order of putrefaction corporal jigsaw quandary the wig maker in 18th century Williamsburg, maraschino, power slum, root of pop, compulsion, stabbing, purged, dissimulation, shipwrecked, frontier pioneer, inhuman, corrosive reports, force of fate, the ormod list of transuranical uranical occasions, dream of horror in a retarded rainforest, Saturn Fury edumbrates the ascitable constellations of Iberia. Aurora of typho despondent sinister demural estranged the seductive looming obliteration of human hums, Raw hermetic materials understanding new age. For engagement to be profound, it must first be superficial.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Joseph. Yes, fantastic. So
1: now before we go on, I think uh, you brought in a song. Uh, So if you'd like to just maybe read the name of the band and the name of the song, and then we'll get right into it.
2: Oh, yeah, this is a good one. This was uh, Passage d'Iver. The song is called Tifa.
1: Excellent. Well, thanks for bringing that in, Joseph. Um, did you want to say anything about it before we hit you with some questions?
2: I'd like you guys just to I don't want to taint what you think, about. I'd like to hear your interpretation or maybe possibly questions that came up in your mind as you heard the text.
1: Okay, well, I'll throw it right back at you. Um, what I'm really curious about is, I know, or you can correct me if I'm wrong, I know that the source material for that Comes from black metal, black, black metal, black <laughs> metal lyrics and song titles, uh, video game chat rooms.
2: And am I close? You're getting warm.
1: Okay. What else is in there?
2: There's also uh, some of my own personal poetry I wrote as a teen. They were kind of difficult years, but uh, I don't really want to For go into. Things. I don't want to go into that. Well, yeah, but mine were probably more difficult than yours. Oh, all right. That's why I had to write a book about it.
0: So, uh, I mean, with Fright Catalog, you're um, mixing up your personal narrative with black metal lyrics. Do you, is there? Is, are you trying to tell us something, kind of implicitly?
2: Not really. I, I I see it kind of as an amalgamation of the you know a personal space, a kind of some kind of interstitial magical place. Maybe I don't know. It's. I don't feel really comfortable with that question either.
1: Can you tell us the magic that is inherent in video game chat rooms?
2: Wait, can you repeat that question?
1: Well, I can see the magic inherent in Black black Metal. That's a no-brainer. But what about the video game chat rooms has the same sort of aesthetic power that that Black Metal has for you?
2: Um, I see it's more of a source just to kind of learn about some of my favorite games that I like to play online, and I make a lot of friends, and I don't know, I just, I get better at the games by chatting with other people who play the games, it's not really that strange, I don't, yeah.
1: Right, but they're both really exclusive communities, right, the video gaming world and the black metal world, they all kind of, there's, there's a real tight community that sticks together and has its own language and its own aesthetic, and that's, that's what I thought of when
2: but I am not really. Things, right? Yeah, I'm not really part of any of those worlds at all right on. I don't, those people, I don't know any of those people.
0: <laughs> good, they're dangerous. Matt, you have any questions? Yeah, Um. Uh, on just, the form of this magazine is, uh, you know, it's like large format, glossy, or semi-glossy, and um, just the design and everything, how does that, do you think that that really relates to the content, uh, you know, form content? I know it's an obvious question, but talk to me about it anyway.
2: Uh, I think it just, it feels really good, when you're touching it and the colors look really nice. And if you if you buy a copy, you can't experience this online or in a chat room or any of that stuff or Facebook. You you need to really buy a copy. And it'll I think it'll become pretty obvious why it's so good physically to to experience.
1: Sure. Well it's a beautiful object. There's no doubt about that. I mean I think what we're both trying to get at is the black metal aesthetic which is Awesome, um, but is very very different than what we're looking at here, right? Like it's a real minimal thing with with tight types and like solid colors. There's no hand drawn type that looks like bats and uh, demon horns and whatnot, you know. So it's moving yeah. from that aesthetic to this aesthetic. Like maybe we want to know about what that what that jump is all about.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't really like the black metal aesthetic. I, it's kind of ugly and it's really predictable. It's it's boring. And um, I think this book is none of those things because of these choices.
0: Understood. Makes sense. That's, that's, yeah, no, I like that. Um, and what you're saying about, I mean, this is, this is print. This is a real book object. Uh, you can't, you can't experience, experience this kind of work in a chat room or on Facebook. Like, you actually have to get the object. It's a strange, you know, it's like real old school print. Do you feel like you're engaging with just, you know, old school print culture on some level? Yeah.
2: Oh, sure. You know, you have to you have to read this for real. It's kind of like uh, I was also inspired by SkyMall a lot. I've been doing a lot of traveling. I just spent time in China and um, I read a lot of SkyMall and the way SkyMall feels in your hand and kind of. The way you can jump between the subject matters that seemingly seem disassociated, but actually if you spend time with the object and you, I don't know, don't go in sequential order, but just kind of feel your way through it, a kind of psychogeographic kind of experience of SkyMall, that's kind of where I'm coming from. That kind of all over the place, kind of everywhere but nowhere, kind of your cat pooping in a human toilet or a neck brace or... A uh, cage pillow bed thing for a human dog, it starts to get all over the place. And you can't do that. The internet is too, it's code based. It's all code. This is like physical, this is tactile.
1: Right. And there's also an inherent misery in SkyMall that you can also find in a Gorgoroth song.
2: Exactly. Right. Well,
1: I think we're, we're hitting the wall here. do You have anything else you want to say before we.
2: No, I would just like to thank you for the, uh, letting me on the show, and I had a great time.
0: Sure, thanks for coming. Oh, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, Joseph Moscone, reading from Fright Catalog and telling us about his uh, deep personal process. Um, and uh, you, can, uh, you can get a copy of Fright Catalog uh, at insertblancpress.net. Um Thanks. Thank you again. All right. I didn't ask you! And I did what I had to do to win, but somebody wouldn't let us win! And I come back to
2: the world, and I see all those maggots at the airport, protesting me and spitting, calling me baby killer and all kinds of bob crap? Who are they to protest me, huh? Who are they? Unless they've been me and been there and know what the hell they're yelling about? It's
0: a bad time for everyone, Rambo. It's all in the past now.
2: For you! For me, to in your life is nothing! In the field, we had a coat of iron. You watch my back, I watch yours. Back here, there's nothing. You're the last elite group.
3: <laughs> Don't end it like this. Back there, I could fly gunship. I can drive a tank. I was in charge of million-dollar equipment. Back here, I can't even hold a
0: Thank you so much. I'm just so
3: delighted that you came to the bone tonight. What's <laughs> wrong? My hair is done by General Electric. <laughs> They have finally decided to make of this room, here at the Bonsoir, a regular cesspool of culture. (laughs) That's why I'm here. (laughs) I uh, just happen to be a culture symbol, and I have been selling culture for so long that... (laughs) (laughs) and I have to sell culture it's the only thing I know how to because I'm a (laughs) highbrow I am a born highbrow oh my heavens I am descended (laughs) you suspected that (laughs) oh yes I'm descended from a very long line my mother once foolishly listened to (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Where's <is> everybody? Guys. <laughs> I, mean, I have a friend. It was the Air Force. I have all these guys, man.
3: Back there, I had all these guys. Who are my friends? Because back here, there's nothing. Hey, man, I took one of those magic markers and I said, Found. He mailed us to Las Vegas because we're always talking
0: about Vegas and this fucking car. This uh, red 58 Chevy Convertible. He's talking about his car. He said, We're going to cruise till the tires fall off.
3: <laughs> we're in this bar inside, man. and this kid comes up. And this kid carrying a shiny box. And he says, uh, Shiny, please. I said, no, he kept asking, yeah, and Joey said, yeah, and I went to get a couple of beers, and the, the box is wired, and he opened up the box, fucking blew his body all over the place, and he's laying there, he's fucking screaming his pieces of them all over me, just like, and I'm trying to pull him off, you know, and it's my friend, it's all over me, he has got blood and everything, I'm trying to hold them together, I'm putting the guys, fucking the chains keep coming out. And nobody would help. Nobody would help me say, I want to go home, I want to go home. I want to go home, I want to go home, Johnny. I want to drop my chimney I said, well, what? I can't push my fucking legs. I can't push my legs. And then you may say, what is a highbrow? Oh. A highbrow is a person who can listen to the William Pell Overture. Without thinking of the long range. And I do this all the time. I think of Tondo. <laughs> I am a Todd Brown.
1: Yeah, So you just heard Phyllis, Rambo, and me, and that's a sound piece by Jay Erker, who we have in the studio with us right now.
0: We're, uh, and welcome again to The People. We just had Joseph Moscone on. We're here with uh, Jay Erker on 1630 AM, K. Chung Radio from Chinatown. Um, Jay, thank you for coming in today.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, Jay Erker is a visual artist. Uh, she's done some recent work uh, with Shoebox LA, and we're going to talk about another project um, that was called The Humans Are Present, a Dutch Doors countdown series uh, last December. Um, and uh, I think this the piece that you brought in, the like kind of cut-up sound piece, um, relates obviously kind of directly to your book, Cut Both Ways, which is kind of strange, almost archaeological carving through fashion imagery to create odd landscapes within, like, the context of the book cut both ways. Um, so tell me about the process of making that the book cut both ways.
3: Well, similar to the sound piece, um, I'm interested in, in taking things that already exist and making something different from them, um, be it, you know, media, uh, movies. Uh, with cut both ways, the book that I created—it um, was taken from fashion magazines—and you know I'm I'm fascinated and seduc- and very seduced by the images in fashion magazines. Um, but then after a while, someone who's grown up with these things around them, they become a bit banal and very easy to read and uh, things of that nature and. Um, I thought that it would be great to make something different from them, something that I feel reflects more of who I am um, or who, you know, people I associate with are interested in, something more of a documentary, even though it's perhaps, you know a bit fantastical, more of a psychological kind of documentary of how we experience images. Um, and then with the sound piece that you guys uh, listen to, it's the same thing, really. Um, I take things that exist and I cut them up to create something different. Um, and depending upon the source material, the context and the concepts change.
1: And for those people who haven't seen Cut Both Ways, uh, it's, it's a fashion magazine where the, where the figures in the magazine are cut away from page to page and build into an abstract Form, like through, through those holes kind of hard to describe on the radio but uh, they're beautiful but so what I hear you saying is that you're generating an idea of, of identity through the in this case in cut Both Ways case by literally destroying the subject or destroying the body by removing it but in such a way that the you know it's cut around the outline so you can see the presence of, of a subject but and it's clearly gone is that, is that close?
3: Uh, Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, It's a simplification uh, of a more complex sort of performative experience of flipping through the pages. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of durational where uh, actually flipping through the pages creates a new image every time. And it adds to what's gone before. But yeah, that's, that's it, really.
0: Yeah, and when I saw the piece at Shoebox LA, we were in the little traffic island in Los Feliz. And you know, it was like just the book set up in a little, like the little shoebox gallery. Um, and I, as I recall, you had you had the white gloves, you had the preparator's gloves, or no?
3: I, I brought them because my hands get really oily, and that was a really hot and sweaty day. Yeah. Did I? Yeah, I think I was wearing them.
0: Yeah, and I mean, when I showed up, you just started uh, you f- for me and whoever else is present actually flipping through it. And while a lot of the subject is taken away on some of the more the large, you you know these shots in fashion magazines they're like it 's like one page of just a face with you know some lipstick or something, and so you would cut away like eyes and stuff, but then there and as you moved through the magazine, there was this like really strange accumulation of like facial parts, noses, and lips overlapping mm-hmm. and creating a very horrific almost like you know plastic surgery esque like horrific face just staring back at you um obviously that's something you were like kind of interested in but uh (laughs) like the effect was correct but but it was it's something about as you said the durational like performance of flipping through the book um that in itself was isn't what I initially expected with this project but it becomes like a durational performance um and tell me like because I do you do you have, In the past, did you do much kind of performance or time-based work?
3: Uh, yeah, actually, um, I have. Uh, a lot of my work is performative, I think, while making it. Um, you know, the viewer is not there, but um, it also does have a performative aspect. Uh, there's something about... I don't like to use the word performance. It suggests an audience. It suggests a lot of things, um, but in just to use to be conventional or whatever, yeah, there's always some kind of performative aspect. Like, for example, in Cut Both Ways, besides the actual turning through the pages, um, as I was actually you know, taking my exacto and removing the images, I was very self-conscious about it. And to me, that felt performative. It felt like I was doing like some kind of symbolic act every time. And uh, I derived great pleasure <laughs> cutting away the images. But yeah, it, it had that effect to me. Um, but I've done performance in the past, and uh, but lately I've been doing just a lot of uh, sculpture and photo-based work. Uh,
1: so this is more of a big, uh, more of a, a like a larger formal jump. But uh, from the sound piece you showed us in the Cut Both Ways. But can you talk about Humans Are Present because I know that's what you're kind of focusing on right now and want to keep doing into the future. But can you tell us how that? That project grew out of those two previous projects, if at all?
3: yeah, no, it's to me it's all the same animal. Um, it's me taking things and changing things around and creating something different. Um, and the humans are present. Uh, it was more it was about uh, conversation, it was about emotion, it was about how two people come together, utilizing language to communicate with one another. And I was just trying to disrupt that, that, that given. Um, but maybe,
1: maybe you could describe how it's set up, like what it looks like in the gallery for people who haven't seen it.
3: Sure, sure. Um, when I say it's, it was set up at Dutch Door, um, I had three uh, black plastic framed um, foam core panels set up on the wall. There was a white Ikea table set up by two um, plastic sawhorses. And there was one tall studio light set up on a tripod that was focused right on the table. In the center of the table, there were about 12 rectangular-sized clay blocks um, that sat in the middle. Um, When I walked into the room, uh, I had glasses on. I had a wristband for carpal tunnel. Um, these are not things I normally wear, they're actually, uh, prosthetics. Um, I don't know if no one has yet mentioned to me that I was wearing glasses and a wrist, uh, arm brace, um, but that is very much a part of the work as well. Um, and so I would, uh, people would come, there were, uh, sheaves of paper with, please leave comments or something that you want to talk about. And then there were these pencils that I also manipulated. And so people were supposed to write down what they wanted to talk about. Um, There was a... And and people did. And then when they would come up and sit in the chair, they would hand it to me. And and then I think I had about 12 or so people, and I would switch positions um, with each person. Uh, I did that because I didn't want there to be a solid dynamic of this person sits here, this one sits here. But it also had a benefit that I didn't think about that, um, the people who are actually watching could see both of our expressions throughout the progression of the, um, social engagement. So, um, a lot of things were, were taking place with that.
1: Could you tell us what sort of things people were writing down? Was it specific or or like a narrow range or was it all over the place?
3: It was kind of all over the place. Um, I would say the majority of people wrote things that were a bit personal. Um, there were some people who wrote symbols. Um, there were some people who uh, wrote very banal things. Um, and it was an experiment for me because I had never done something like that. Um, I did something similar uh, back in the early 2000s. I had a telephone number, a 1-800 number, and I placed uh, an ad in the, in the pinch a penny. And it was just to talk. It was just about talking. and um, So that was kind of similar to this. But this was much different. Um, it was a bit more structured. Um, and it, I was really curious as to what would happen. Uh, I, was, I had a toolbox. I called it my, my conceptual toolbox of things that I could do in response to people's stuff, and just in order to prepare. But I was always simultaneously expecting the unknown and trying to be present myself to deal with it without judgment, without, you know, trying to control things. So it was um, it was great that I did have that sort of variety in responses, so that I could have a more of a wide range of responses myself. And tell us about the clay. Yeah. Well, you know, like, uh, the clay, I wanted evidence of the exchange. Um, I wanted something that was just evidence of a person's presence. Um, But what I didn't realize, too, simultaneously, is that, well, see, I asked people to manipulate the clay as we were talking. And I I thought on some level it would be kind of meditative, but the space itself was a bit noisy because... there was drinking going on simultaneously. A um, vet solar was, uh, you know, made drinks and they were very delicious. And of course, people were getting a little, you know, uh, buzzed and having fun. But that was what it was all about. And, and in a sense, that was that was great too to add to it. So we really, you know, tried to focus on one another when we were sitting at the table. And what the clay did, it also allowed people to not necessarily focus on themselves anymore, but focus on something else, but allow them to talk simultaneously, um, kind of a distraction in a sense. But also for me, as the artist or the, you know, the composer of the piece, um, it was, it'll be an evidence-based thing of people. Like in the end, everyone who sat down at that table touched that clay, and it's, it was a collaboration. And there's an
1: artifact in the end of the, exactly. of the conversation.
3: So I see, like, the the panels, the light, the table, and the clay, the resulting clay piece as an insta- installation piece now.
0: And tell us also about the panels. There were three, like, just white panels and black frames behind the table.
3: Yeah, uh, those are great. Um, I found them in the trash at my work, and I uh, everything that I do is, is sort of by chance. Um, I don't like to consciously do stuff, uh, I don't know why. It's just the way I approach things. I think it's sort of this sort of naivety that I enjoy. Um, But the panels themselves, they were just sitting in my office at work, the three panels for months, uh, along with a hat rack, which I still have to figure out something to do with that. But uh, the panels were just sitting in my office, and to me, whenever I'd look at them, I was like, oh, that's potential. Oh, there's potential there. You know, There's something there. And they be, and for the humans are presents. That's what I think of them as. They, I mean, just to be symbolic. You know, they represent our potential. Because I was thinking, okay, well maybe I can get people to ride on them instead of the clay, right? And so I could have in the end like all of us working together, and then I have these three panels with drawings or writing or. But, but then I was like, you know what? I like this that they're blank, because I'll always see them as potential because that's what the kind of all my work is about this sort of inherent potential in things to be something else or something more mysterious or uh something just more uh better than the, what the world often gives us
1: sure. sure and they're all and the whole setup is it's like Jay said it's all white it looks very very Clean and maybe corporate even, except for that terrifying interrogation light. Um, but it's very clean, and it's very minimal, and there's, but there's something very, very, very personal going on, right? A very personal interaction
0: between humans, right? Very. And I feel like it's important that the clay wasn't, like, brown. It was, like, white clay as yeah. well. So it's, like, it was all very clean and minimalist installation-looking, but then, you know, that space... We have an image up right now in front of us of the space with no people there. And that space is very, like, empty, but it only works when you've actually got the humans present, that it act- the people actually activate it.
3: Exactly.
1: And in reading about it and looking at the pictures that you can see online of it, there's a lot of uh, physical contact between you and the person being... Uh, being interviewed, is that just the pictures i 'm looking at, or was that a part of the the deal
3: uh, that wasn't a part of it. It just happened spontaneously. If someone wanted to touch, we touched um if they didn't we didn't um it was sort of like the vibes I got from the person um that I interacted with, and each person was very different and it that was a great learning experience for me um I had one person who uh you know throughout the night it's very tiring to try and be present uh, like like, really, really present with each interaction and trying to create something different with each word, with each um, second, you know. Um, and then I had, there was this one person who just totally uh, rocked my world uh, in the challenge of being present for me. And that was a great learning experience, too. And uh, so each person brought something different, um, touching. Uh, sometimes I even dropped the project and I just talked straight with somebody. But that was what that person or what I felt that person required dropping the facade of some sort of art thing you know uh, so that happened once in a while, and I was able to use my toolbox and <laughs> my conceptual toolbox and touching people was great they're, well, they're soft
1: I'll, right I'll back up to another formal aspect of it Tell, tell me about the glasses and the and the wrist guard
3: uh, i um I don't know if I want to respond to that Fair because enough. I like mystery. Uh, a lot of my work is about the mystery inherent in everyday things. So uh, I don't know. I think you you think about that and tell me what you think.
1: Uh, well, I mean, it makes you. You know, it's like Homer Simpson's smart glasses, right? Like you, <laughs> you put you put those on, and then and then all of a sudden you're you're an authority. You, you're a smart you gain some authority, right? <laughs> that's by, interesting. Having, by having and they look like kind of nice, uh, professional glasses. And but they also make you a little more vulnerable because you can't see so well, you know. And the same with the same with the wrist guard. Like there's, it, it 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 takes power that takes power away
0: from you in a way. To me,
1: yeah, right. Does that have? Am I close? Yeah, you are.
0: Okay, that's cool. And so this is a project that you're planning to take various other directions. Uh, over you know an indeterminate amount of time the next year or so. Can you tell us your thoughts about where it might go next and what it might look like in another instantiation?
3: Well, you know, it's... Uh, I'll always be dealing with people. I'll always be working with people. Um, in my head... Um, I, I actually, from the Humans are Presence uh, iteration at Dutch Door uh, that Molly Shea runs, um, I wanted to... Uh, create some pieces from the writings that were generated, so there'll be uh, perhaps once I get the time um, a second generation from the Dutch Dorp uh, experience, where there'll be like some spoken word. Huh. So that'll be like a you know a collaboration with the people who sat down where I generate some sort of you know conceptual poetry or something like or sound pieces um, things of that nature. Um, but uh, today I came up with an idea. I was listening to, um, what was it? Like, not KCT, uh, no, that's a TV show. Uh, Some radio station, some, you know, public programming today, and uh, uh, Kincaid, Jamaica Kincaid was telling a story about uh, her mother and her experience living in Antigua and then um, Masak or something, this other island, and, and she was saying how she got, her mom kicked her out of the house because Jamaica, when she was little, didn't like her new little brother. It was a really great story, and she's a really great orator, and everyone was laughing, though it was simultaneously sad, which reminds me of the Me Rambo piece in a similar way. But anyway, um, so she, what she would do is she would write these letters to her mother because she wanted to go home. Her mom made her go live with her aunt, who wasn't bad at all, yet in these letters that Jamaica Kincaid as a child would write to her mother, she would say how her aunt would not... Um, feed her they'd treat her like a dog you know like all these crazy things so, she, so Jamaica Kincaid when a child this is the beginning of how Jamaica Kincaid started writing huh. there were these letters right and so she would always she would never mail them to her mother actually she would keep them under a rock oh, oh shoot and I can't tell <laughs> you because part of this is secretive but, <laughs> but that was very inspiring and that has um, something to do with the humans are presence in the future Awesome. Okay.
1: Well we're we're pushing go time. Oh. Right. Okay. Yeah. But do you want to spend the last five minutes talking about Florida? Because I, I'm kidding. <laughs> I heard you went to UF.
3: I did. Did you too?
1: Went to Florida State.
3: Bullshit. Yeah. I'm <laughs> um, I'm doing the alligator thing. And I'm looking <laughs>
1: away in disgust.
3: <laughs> no, we're very similar schools though. I know. Yeah. All right. well, Some other time. Yeah.
0: Well, Jay, Jay, thanks so much for coming on the people. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Bringing uh, Rambo and Phyllis Diller with you, too. And yes. thanks again to Joseph Moscone, of course. Thanks so much. And uh, I hope you come back, listen again to The People next month, uh, third Sunday on K-Chung, 1630 AM, with,
3: Be- with Ben hands. White
0: and thanks. myself, Matthew Timmons. Um, and we're going to uh, go out with uh, Here Come the Warm Jets by Brian Eno. Yeah. That's that's sweet. Fun.